everyone. Welcome to Upwards Positive Podcast with myself, Tim Mazzarana, and co-host David Thomas. We are here today actually on a special occasion. Um, we wanted to do a special podcast for everybody, just kind of talking about the landscape in America today. You know, we're coming, it's it's the beginning, middle of January. Um, one of the holidays that we are enjoyed to celebrate within this country is Martin Luther King Day and the uh, changes that he tried to implement through through his actions that he took and the um, different ways that he was inspiring people. And I, I think what we really wanted to do today was take an opportunity to talk about one of his most famous speeches, which is the one that he gave in Washington, D.C., uh, the the, I, the quote-unquote, I have a dream speech. Um, you know, it's such a great message that I, that is so amazing from the standpoint that it still holds true today every word that he said around change, around equality for people, around peaceful protest. And we just wanted to take an opportunity to kind of discuss as a podcast, bring that positive message of Martin Luther King Day out to everybody. Uh, maybe you haven't heard it, maybe you have, uh, but just kind of talk about it in light of everything that's kind of going on in social media today, not only social media, just, just society in general and the truths that he still speaks, uh, even though he's not with us any longer. Yeah, no, I hear you, Tim. That's um, this is a big, a big moment. I think in history when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his speech and you know really tried to change a movement of the way people think. You know, we talked earlier on different podcasts about that and about you know freedom of speech and having the ability to think with your neighbors and think positively instead of negatively. And unfortunately, I think um, the whole slave thing you know, it generated from such a long time ago and the thought process then was so much different than it is today. And even today there's still racism, but the racism is still embedded in people deeply from their upbringing and the roots that they think uh, are, are the right thing to do in their mind, just because their whole lives they've been embedded with this thought of, you know, slavery is the right thing and all that. Right. So their, their, their family and the, the negativity is constant, you know, throughout history. And, and it's really sad, you know, and it's sad and I'm blessed. I feel I'm very blessed to have grown up, not ever having that, that thought process, I guess. I've never once thought of any of my black friends in that way or in that negativity of a way. Um, so I guess it's a totally different mindset for us than it would be for someone maybe who grew up in the deep South. Right. And I don't know if that's still today, I'm not going to stereotype people, but I'm just saying, like, you know, back then, let's take ourselves back to that time frame and, the, in, you know, back to Civil War, realistically. So in the Civil War, you know, we have Abraham Lincoln who abolishes slavery and he does it for a lot of reasons, not necessarily just for black people, but he did do it for a lot of reasons, uh, political reasons. But that was the rule. And so once he did that and the South gave up or whatnot or lost the war then that should have been the law. But people are so mad about it, still so mad about it, they assassinated him. <laughs> and then and then what they did is all the politicians, the senators, the congressmen, they didn't really 100% believe in that aspect of Lincoln's thought process. And so they just kind of still had slavery, but put a lot of like sugar coated it, I guess, in different and ways. They had to pay them and, and there was segregation. And it's still a, a hugely negative 
format they brought forward after Lincoln was gone, because a lot of them didn't really care for that abolishment of slavery in the North as well. But the problem with the scenario for me is that sometimes in life, like, and I, and I understand like, you know, even back then the thought process is different, but it, to me, it's, it's extremely simple. I mean, it's like right versus wrong. I mean, it's just so simple. Like, you don't want to treat people how you don't want to be treated. And you, and you're, and basically they're trying to say like slaves were like animals or cattle, or, I mean, it was like crazy thought process. It was a commodity. And yeah. I mean, it was, it was commodity. commodity. Right? They were bought, they were sold. It was, it was a business. And, you know, I look back disgusted at that time. I think everybody does. I, I hope everybody does look back and, and disgusted at that time. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't unheard of throughout history to own slaves and, and be as slaves, but to have it based around, you know, the mentality of your skin color, I think is, is really the, it's a, it's a sore mark in American history, right? That it tried to be righted back with the civil war was, but not to the extent that it could have been. And it took hundred, what almost another hundred years almost another hundred, you think about it, almost another hundred years for Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement to really make additional changes and progress within the American system. And it, to me, and you're, it is, it's very basic idea to me of just equality, period. It's not about race. It's not about skin color. It's not about any of that stuff. We live in a country where we were created by those that were disenfranchised, those that were tormented, tortured uh, by a government that told them, this is what you need to believe. This is who you are. This is what you are. This You need to do this, 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 and this, and you're never going to be better than I am. And people had it in their heart, rightfully so, led, led, led by their thoughts, their minds, their religion to say, that's not right. We're all equal. We're all children of God. We're all here on this earth together. And we need yeah. to find a way to do that together. Right. And, you know, it kind of went sideways early American history, actually not just early, early, mid, mid to late American history. Um, you know, and things are still changing. Things still need to change. There's still mentalities out there that do need to change. And I, I'm, I'm the same camp you are. I don't, I wasn't raised racist. I wasn't raised to treat people differently based on their skin color or anything like that. Um, we have that, I think very much in common. And, and I think it's just, it's hard to watch what's going on with society today when those issues are still prevalent out there. Um, you know, people still feel disenfranchised. People still feel, you know, hurt by, they're the way that they're treated because of their skin color. And that, that hurts me. I mean, it hurts me because I don't see it. Number one, it's hard for me to see because I don't see it in my own life, which is good and bad, I guess. I mean, I don't, I can't walk in their shoes. So that makes it a lot harder to understand that point of view and everything that's going on. But at the same time, you know, you sit back and you look at days like Martin Luther King day, where we have the ability to watch him and learn about what he did and really celebrate what he did. And when you hear it, man, it's powerful, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. One of the statements and I, I want to just kind of, I got a couple statements here and, and all his words and his quotes and everything. And um, this one's really important to me. There's two of them here. I want to talk about a lot, but this one's the big one. Um, 
And uh, if you're just joining us, we are celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. on this episode of the Upwards Positive Podcast. And so today, we Tim and I just wanted to kind of go through and kind of just, you know, talk about some of the things that happened then. I know it's not all a positive thing, but it is positive in the end because you needed this moment to happen. Uh, to this is this is a good example of some of an, a, a culture, a person who at the time is completely in a negative state, but yet was looking positively to the future and that we can do this, we can do this, you know, even though everybody around him that, you know, was the opposite color of his skin was telling them, you're never going to do this. You can't do this, you know, and they did it and they even killed him, honestly. I mean, they assassinated the man, uh, but he never gave up and he kept pushing. So it's really important that we find that, you know, but anyway, and the quote says, uh, and this one really strikes home. It says, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And I think that one's super important and it really bothers me. It does. It gives me that too, but it bothers me in the sense that, listen, this country was founded. It was founded by people who wanted to get away from rule and rulers. People traveled here and, and disenfranchised themselves from the, from England so they could cut free from someone being their slave and telling them what to do. Right. So it is so not right in any way, shape, or form that slaves were ever brought to this country and and used like that because people came here to be free. That was the whole point of the Constitution. The whole point of it was for, for this country to be the country that people could go to and believe in something bigger and you know free and be a free person, realistically. Um, it's just it's just such a huge statement, you know. Um, but the other piece of that pie. And this is another part of the Constitution, and it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people to peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So this is important to me because this is the point. People are allowed to speak freely about their thoughts and processes or whatever. It doesn't matter. We're not, we're not, we're not like, this isn't, this isn't Hitler. This isn't uh, where you say something wrong. You're next thing you know, you're goner and you're gone. You know, this isn't that type of mentality. That was why we built it this way was for people to be free and free of bullies, free of people telling them what to do. Um, and yeah, so I think it's, it's critical, man. I think those statements were big and I think he was really on the right path. Yeah, and especially, I mean, his opening line, and, and he goes on later to repeat the I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. Um, you know, through multiple, through multiple different scenes that he's setting throughout his speech. But the I have a dream where, where you just read, where you know, one day I my dream is that this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. And that true meaning is we hold these truths to see to be self-evident that all men are created equal there period done over. It's that simple. I mean, that's built into this country. All men are created equal. I know I've read that somewhere, right? I mean, in official documents, that's where, that's how this country was created. And, uh, you know, 18, what, sixties, when, when was this speech? 1863, I want to say is when the speech was given and we were, we were founded in 1776 think about that man how, how which, long is which, it going to take us to realize that the truth that we laid out on the foundation of this of, of this country to come true 
Um, it's taken way too long for that. And it took people like Martin Luther King and the sacrifice of his own life. Somebody took it from him um, to be able to get to the points where we are today, which is far better than where we were, but not where we need to be. Right. Yeah. And you meant 1963, right? You said 18. I, yeah. Sorry. 1800 <laughs> years. Difference. I'm thinking about all these different dates. Yes. Eight, so. Yeah. I, I, you know, I take it back to our last podcast and I say, when we talked about the Vikings and how he said, don't be afraid, you know, when the guy's about to stab him with the knife. And I feel like that's the same concept here with Martin Luther King is like, look, don't be afraid. Yes, you could die. We could all die doing this, but it's the right thing to do. It's the right path, even if it's a risk. And I so respect that. And he's got so much more guts than I would ever have. You know, I really feel that way. Like just looking at, what he did and his ability. And then I realized the other day, Tim, I was actually watching the speech. I watched the video of it. At this time, I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, A great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, They were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. 
This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summit of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until that is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hoped that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, 
We must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. And some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. 
Go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together this is our hope this is a faith that I go back to the south with with this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning 
my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Obviously, it was extremely breathtaking. But another thing I noticed, I didn't even realize, I was right there where he stood giving that speech. I have actually stood there and took a photo with my family right by the Lincoln Memorial, right to, right off to the left, not exactly where he was standing, but I walked right there. And I never knew that happened there when I went there. This is back in the early 2000s, or no, mid late 2000s. Never knew that speech was given right there at the Lincoln Memorial. Because every time I've seen it, I never noticed Lincoln in the background. I just, because there's so many people, I didn't even know yeah. where it was. So it, that was an incredible feeling when I saw it, the video. It is, it. The, the, the imagery of the video, and, and I think that's such an amazing thing, too, is that we actually have video of it, right? I mean, there's so many important moments that have happened in our country's history where video wasn't around. You didn't get to see Abraham Lincoln, all that kind of stuff, right? But yeah, I, I was there. Um, this would have been three years ago, I want to say. Um, yeah, it would have been three years ago that I took my family to Washington, D.C. for you know a little five-day thing. And uh, the history and the imagery that you get to see by, and if you haven't been to Washington, D.C., I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And it's not, not so much like hills and mountains and amazing in that way. It's, it's the feeling that you get knowing how many people have walked there before, what, what symbolism yeah. is in that place. Um, it's humbling in a way, you know, and, and it's such a cool thing to be able to stand in the same spots, you know, that all those great people stood to give, to give the speeches that they give Martin Luther King Jr. Being not at the bottom of the list of that, you know, he, he has made such an impact in my, you know, in, in my bringing up, I mean, this isn't something that, that is new, right? I think it's something newer that we, we, and, and maybe it's just me because I'm older with kids now and you kind of want them to understand a little bit more about history and treating people and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember learning about Martin Luther King and I have a dream back in elementary school, you know, and yeah. it, it, 
he was that impactful that that message has stood the test of time from the day it was yep. given till today. And we're talking almost 40 years later. That's such an amazing, amazing accomplishment that God granted him to be able to give that speech. And, you know, back, back to something you said a little bit earlier too, which was really talking about the golden rule. Yeah. It's, it's about treat others the way that you want to be treated at the end of the day. That's exactly what it is. Um, I, I don't, the thing about it, Tim, that's crazy to me that blows my mind dramatically is just that like, if we go back to the sixties where when this speech was given and obviously you can go back further than that, there's been, you know, bad things have happened to black people for a long time in this country. And one of the things that blows my mind is just how mad people were at him, you know, for what he was proposing. It was just so ignorant and like, it, it just, it's, it's like, I can't even put myself in their shoes at all because I don't understand. I can't even understand how you could be so mad at someone for wanting to be free yeah. and just yeah. to be left alone, to walk into a subway, to walk into whatever and not be segregated or say, yo, you can't drink out of that fountain. Isn't that crazy? Like I just, it just, it is, whoa, it is. You and, know? And, and it's, it, I, I say it's even crazier because he did it in the right way. He did it in a way that promoted zero violence. It was all about loving each other. It was all about peaceful protests. It was all about coming together. And it wasn't about divisiveness. It wasn't about I'm right, you're wrong. You need to change your ways. It's listen, there's something that needs to change here. And what needs to change is we need to honor what this country was created for. And that's becoming equal on an equal playing field. Everybody everybody is on equal playing field and we need to come together and do that. And we're only going to do that. You know, there, it's, I, I feel like I say a lot of cliches in here, but I, I think cliches are good because they're true. And you can kind of bring context to them is that you attract more flies with honey. And that is so true because you're going to attract more people to your cause. You're going to attract more people to who you are, to what you want to believe when you're just simply nice about it, you know, and, and, yeah. and I think above the speech, above what he was talking, because there was a lot of people talking about it at that time for somebody to come out and completely change the way that people were thinking about protesting. My light went out here. So I'll to plug Can't it back talk. in here in a moment, <laughs> <laughs> but to completely change the way people were thinking about it, people were getting really, really, really angry. And here he is as a guy on the inside saying, we all need to come together all need to just come together, be nice and have a passion with each other, um, you know, and a love for each other. And that's, what's going to create the change for us. So yeah. I thought that was absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's interesting because when you think of the fact that it's not like these people came here to come here, they're stolen from their, their homes, their houses yeah. in Africa, put on a slave ship, their kids were pulled away from and sold. Like, it's just insane to me. And then like they get here and they're slaves. And then like, it's okay for some reason for everybody in the South at the time, but it wasn't necessarily okay for the North. And, but no one really said anything about it. It really didn't have anything to do with that, the civil war at the beginning. So quite interesting how it turned to that, but that's okay. It worked out good, I think. But then just to think that in the sixties, they're still, we're arguing about this. I just blows yeah. my mind. You know, it's like, dude, you weren't even there. Like you weren't, it was your grandparents who had slaves. It wasn't even you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but anyway, let's uh, read real quick, a little bit about Martin Luther King Jr. I, I pulled up the Wikipedia so we could just kind of 
just glance through a couple paragraphs of it just so get a better feeling of him if you don't know much about him or if you're just learning about him, which I hope not, but if you are. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., born Michael King Jr., January 5th, 1929. He died on April 4th, 1968, was an American Baptist minister and activist who became the most visible spokesperson and leader in the civil rights movement from 1955 until his assassination in 1968. King is best known for advancing civil rights through nonviolent and civil disobedience. King participated in and led marches for blacks' rights to vote, desegregation, labor rights, and other basic civil rights. King led the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott. King helped organize the 1963 March on Washington, where he delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. On October 14, 1964, King won the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality through nonviolent resistance. In 1965, he helped organize two of the three Selma to Montgomery marches. In his final years, he expanded his focus to include opposition towards poverty, capitalism, and the Vietnam War. No, I was just going to, one of the things you read early on was about how he participated in the lead lead marches for the Blacks' right to vote, desegregation, and labor rights. And you know, I think one of the one of the things that gets overlooked a lot is you know we talk a lot about desegregation and 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 just attributing that to pure racism, right? But we don't talk a lo- about a lot about the right to vote, you know. And we even said earlier, man, slavery was ended back with the slo- Civil War; it was made illegal. But then segregation happened for the next hundred years, and you're like, well, how could we do that? Well, it was pretty simple, right? Blacks couldn't vote, so. They saw all this stuff going on, their harassment, everything that they were getting, but they didn't have the right to vote to change anything. So you, yeah. when you have a group of people in power that don't see it or don't want to see it or don't want to change, it's very simple not to change, right? So, you know, the movement that he led, I think, I think way more than segregation, the right to vote, the, the right for, you know, black man, white man, everybody, regardless of race, to be able to vote and have an equal say was probably a bigger change than anything else, you know, out of the whole cause that, that he was uh, really behind. So, yeah, I, um, this past two, two summers ago, not this past summer, but two summers ago, the family and I took a trip down to the East Southern East coast of uh, the United States, um, Georgia up to Charleston, then a couple other places. And uh, when we were in Charleston, um, you know, Char- Charleston has a really long and deep history of slavery and all all the stuff that happened back in the Civil War. Um, we had an opportunity to go to the um, the what was it called? I got to look it up. But it was a slavery museum. Um, it was called the Old Slave Mart Museum, and it was a building that still stands from back in that time of where slaves were bought and sold. And it's not a very big building, you know, it's not extraordinarily huge or anything like that, but yeah, it was so humbling to stand in a place where people hundreds of years ago, Americans, hundreds, I'm going to call them Americans because they, for every right are right. Yeah. Even though they came here, they didn't want to come here. They built our country. So I'm going to call them Americans where they were bought and sold and you could put a face and, a, and, and not only that, what was so humbling about it is you could put a price on their head. They had actual sheets of paper there that showed how much 
um, certain slave would go for based on their age, their weight, the way they looked, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was crazy, such a humbling and interesting experience to go there and be able to kind of walk in that time back, back in time to see, you know, what really went on. And I think it's really hard for people to, um, really walk in those shoes unless you do those types of things, unless you walk in the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and look out and imagine what it would have been like, right? Unless you walk into a, an old slave museum and really try to imagine what it, what it was like. I think those are the moments that really become memorable that, that help you kind of digest those times to really understand more about what it was. Cause other than that, it's paper, it's TV, you can watch it for 10 seconds and forget about it. But those types of experience, man, they mean so much. So yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I, I agree hundred percent. I think it is, it is important for people to go to Lincoln Memorial, go to those type of places, just get a feel for what people suffer through to, to, so you could have what you have today. And, and you might not think it affects you, but it did somehow way, shape or form affect you. Those people worked their butts off to help America get the wealth that it ever had, you know, to create all that wealth, farming and doing all the work that had to be done, the cotton, everything had to be done to gain a lot more funding for the country as a whole over the years. So, I mean, it definitely affected us in, you know, some way, shape or form. It's just, you might not realize it in your everyday life. Um, but yeah. yeah, you do owe something to that. And um, just like you owe to the veterans who are fighting for you every day and they're doing what their commander in chief tells them to do to keep us safe. And, you know, it's, it's these people, risk their lives, you know? So it's definitely important to make sure you know that and uh, give them thanks when you do see them policemen as well. And firemen, you know, they're, they're doing the best they can. It's scary jobs, guys. I mean, this isn't like, uh, and I, and I challenge people, if you don't think it's scary, you think they take advantage of things, go check it out yourself, <laughs> you know, go out there and walk with a cop for a day. See how, see how it goes. You know, it's just creepy. Yeah, scary. no, for sure. And, and, you know, it, it is, what's what's the what's the positive message right i mean we we have we have talked a lot about his his positive influence and all that kind of stuff the the positive message for me is we have to be one people we have to be one people that are americans um that love each other that take care of each other and and put ourselves um first right now i'm not talking about ourselves in, in terms of me and my family i'm talking about our nation, our people, right? My next door neighbor, my neighbor across the street, people that live halfway across town, everybody matters. Everybody has a voice and it's really about coming together and realizing the equality that everybody does and should have in order to have a more better society. And that's a horrible way of saying it. Don't quote me on that ever, but a more better society. <laughs> And, and I can't help but think like there's this one and I'm going to throw a song in here real quick, but there's this one song by Creed who is, is really on the top of my list for, you know, best, best bands ever. They have this one song called one and uh, the, the lyrics are exactly that. I mean, it, it is, uh, I'm just going to read, I'm just going to read the, the chorus of the song, but it goes on to talk about um, justice and affirmative action and all that kind of stuff. And the, the lyrics are one oh one. The only way is one one oh one. The only way is one. And that's really it. That's it. That's as a whole. We're one people. We can do this. We can treat each other equally. And I think that's my positive message of the day is forget about everything else. Forget about how you were raised. The person sitting next to you is no different than you. You know, at the end of the day, everybody's equal under God. 
Yep. True that. And I guess my message would be just, you know, again, I, I say it a lot, but don't give up, you know, stay positive, you know, work towards a better community, work towards a better life. And you can do it. Honestly, you can do whatever you want to do in life. Just, you know, don't give up. And Martin Luther King's a great example of that. I mean, what he started and what he led uh, still holds true today, still rings true. It helped over the years change a lot of things for black people, including in the 90s. Uh, you know, a lot of our pop culture changed to what black people liked and their music started taking over and people, white people start listening to that a lot more and, and kids start wearing the clothes and you start to see the African heritage come out, the colors, beautiful colors and awesome, you know, backdrops and, and just, and, 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 and black people are amazing at music and sports, to be honest, not stereotyping, but they are, they're just incredible musicians, uh, actors, producers, um, talk about music that really helped, I think, change a whole generation of what we have today. And I think even today you, when you try on anything it, that culture, um, thrives, I mean, it's, it's really, what's really helped push, uh, our independence and how we feel about our country. And I, I think honestly, there are so many great people in this country have done so many amazing things, whether they're from Japan, whether they're from Korea, whether they're from uh, England, right? They've come here and they've got dual citizenship or they have a green card. They still come here and do great things in some cases. And it's really impressive, honestly. And, and so I would also say, just don't, don't give up on your friends around the world, Canada, Mexico. These are all like, they're like, they should be like family to us. I mean, literally they're so close to us. Yeah. But Canada, man, I'm just oh Canada. <laughs> I call I them Northern me. Americans. I do love me some Tim Hortons. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not gonna lie. I love me some Timmy Hortons. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. My favorite. Should I should I end it with a joke? End it with a really bad dad joke? All right, let's hear it. All right. So so how did Canada get their name? Do you know? I don't know. All right. So so one day there was a bunch of bunch of government officials, you know, trying to form their government and form the country, and they're like you know, what are we going to even call ourselves? You know, we got the U S of a, you know, what, what do we do? And like, well, well, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put all the letters of the alphabet in a hat and we're just going to pull out three letters and that's going to be our name. Right. So they pull it out and they start off, they go C A N A D A. And that's how Canada was born. (laughs) A. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. (laughs) Bye.